Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Let us pray. Mighty God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for this wonderful morning and uh, the gathering of your people in your house. We know that, Lord, you never gather your people in vain, but in every instance that you gather us, Lord, you have a word for us, a word to rebuke us, to encourage us, a word to equip, a word to equip us so that we may be ready for every work of ministry. Father, I pray that today is not an exception, that you are going to minister through us, minister to the speaker and the ones that are hearing the words alike. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to have a very interesting topic, if you allow me. I'm already here, so you've allowed me. Silver and gold, we have some. If you will stand up with me and uh, open the Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. If you're able to stand up, that will be appreciated. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you so intently, so why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk. 
May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may sit down. Silver and gold, we have some. I want to look at this part of scripture today and hopefully draw out a lesson for me and for us that we may be able to take home and make use of it on Monday. I want to suggest to us that the beggar in this story depicts a world that is needy and wasted and longing for a touch. The beggar was placed on that door called beautiful every morning with an intention. There was an expectation. And there was a need that this beggar showed and that this need was supposed to be met by people. And it's amazing that he could be, have been placed at the palace gate, in Herod's gate. He could have been placed any other place, but they chose to place him at the gate of the temple. How strategic. Though, they are the, world, though the world is so close to the source of their salvation, their expectation betrays them. For the expectation is earthly and carnal. Verse 2 says, they placed him there to ask for arms from those who entered the temple. Now, they were in the right place, strategically placed, but they were asking for the wrong thing. And this is probably the story of the church and the world and the relationship we have. The world comes seeking for, to be helped at the church. They know There must be answers somewhere in there. But when they come, their intention is, well, maybe I'm going to get two business partners. Maybe I'm going to sell my insurance. Maybe I'm a realtor. I'm going to sell a house today. And so the world is coming in but seeking what is carnal and earthly. But we thank God that there is power beyond arms. It is called the name of Jesus. Peter realized this. And Peter said, I have something better than arms. I have something better than what you are expecting, intently looking at me. And it is called the name of Jesus. In verse 6, Peter exclaims, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. But I want us to look at the first part of verse 6, which will be the main story of our sermon today. Before he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He starts by saying, silver and gold I do not have. And I can't help but thank God for that situation. Because it is because of the luck that Peter and John had that probably helped them to look beyond and yonder to what else that could be done. If it was today's, their predicament was silver and gold, we do not have. I suggest to us our predicament is the opposite today. Our predicament is Silver and gold, we have some. And because silver and gold, we have some, then we do not offer 
beyond arms. We do not get to a point like they did, like John and Peter, and said, well, it's because of my luck. It's because I do not have silver and gold. I could have given you some change. But because I don't have that change, then I'm forced to look beyond. I know I need to be helping you. I know there is an answer somewhere lying within me. But I have silver and gold. So I can sort it easy. I can give you some change. Our abundance has become our limiting agent. Out of our opulence, we have clouded the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we have served a God that can fit in our wallet and in our budgets. We have allowed what has been given as a blessing to us to become a limiting factor and become something that obstructs the world that is sitting at the gate called beautiful to meet with the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We have conveniently stayed within our bounds of silver and gold and refused to offer the world what they need from the first, in the first place, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How are we doing this? I'm going to suggest a few. This is, this is not an exclusive list. But I'm going to suggest a few things that I think if we are conscious enough, we're going to look at them. And there's examples from the Bible that if we are careful, we will not do as they did. Because one of the things that I think makes us, make us not wait on Jesus or ask, lead the world to see Jesus is because we lean on our strength. Oh, okay. Technology is good. <laughs> Leaning on our strength. A story is given in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. And onwards, David at this point had had so many victories. He had captured Jerusalem at this time. David had a big force. He was, he was a force to be reckoned with in Palestine at that time. But at this point, his focus started fluctuating from God's provision to his own strength. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Bathsheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. Now what David is doing here, David is saying, I know God has been with us. I know God has fought for us. You know, from the stories of Goliath and me killing Goliath, it was not, I, I mean, when David went to fight Goliath, he said, I come to you in the name of the most high God the God that you defile. I know God, David had his mind in the right place at the very beginning when he was 17. And he understood that he can do nothing except by God. But at this point, David is established. He's a king. He has had victory after victory after victory. And Satan speaks to him. <laughs> and Satan says, hey, 
Why don't you number the number of uh, soldiers you have? Why don't you get to know how you win these victories? How many people do you have? And it is not something that he said, but something that he did not say. It is the attitude behind those words. The attitude was like, was, I, I am making it because of my big army. I, I am winning victory after victory, not because God is with me, but because I have this great strength. Sounds like when we say, oh, I am making it because I am a graduate. Oh, I am doing well because I have a master's degree. Or I am doing well because I have served for 40 years in ministry. Or I am doing so well. God has me as indispensable because I'm from Kenya and I'm preaching in the U.S. <laughs> no, it's not. It always begins with God. David makes a mistake by leaning on his own strength. Many times this is how we start like David. We start by saying, oh, I needed God then. Though, during those dark days, those valleys of the shadow of death, I needed God. But then I am out of the woods now. I can move in my strength. And though we never say this was explicitly, we think them and we act like it. We feel like we needed God before we had this building built up. Now that the building is done and we've moved in, we don't need God. Now that I am married and I have children, I am good. I can stop going to church. I needed God when I, was a, when I didn't have a wife, but now I got a wife. I am good. We are, we are never out of the woods. We are one decision away from falling away. We are one mistake away from the enemy like he did with David to rise up and move us to do something stupid. And David did it. He's, he was sunk by the enemy because he chose to rely and lean on his own strength. This is more of an attitude than words we speak openly. This is more of those decisions that you make that are within those discussions and those things that you do from within. What are the motives of what you do? James asked us. Are we leaning on our own strength? But maybe the other thing that we do is, other than leaning on our own strength, is leaning on our resources. That dollar sign is very welcoming. You know, just because, hear this, just because we can afford it does not mean we are called to do it. Just because we have money for it does not mean God is telling us to do it. And the opposite is true. Just because we don't have money for it does not mean God has not called us to do it. Our sustenance is not what is made in Washington. Our sustenance is not on that dollar bills. Our sustenance is in the spirit of God. Many a times we lean on our own resources. Now the same person gives us an example of what happened. David 
has been a king for long. He's coming to the end of his, of his life. And he wants to build God the temple. And he says, I have everything ready. I have, I have timber from Lebanon. I have gold. You know, I've collected taxes. I have everything that I need. I am about to build God a temple. And he can afford it. He has what it takes. He was the greatest king of Israel. And he's able to do that. He has the people behind him. He is a man after God's own heart. The attitude, the motive is there. It seems to be good. The resources are there. They seem to be in the right place. But God says to him, you will not build a house for me. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 8 to 10. But the word of the Lord came to David saying, you have shed so much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name. Before you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight, behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, I'll be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Listen, church, sometimes God will have us make preparations for others who will come after us. Sometimes we may feel we are the best place, the best suit, and God will say, well, I want you to lay up that for someone else to do it. And you're like, no, he's going to get credit. Well, it's monthly thinking. We want credit for it, right? God says, no, do not lean on your own resources. How did you get where you are in the first place? Is it because you worked so hard for it? Is it because you were so perfect that God could not pass you by? No. It was because of his grace. David is telling us, if David was to rewrite his story, David will tell us, lean not on your resources. Lean not on your dollars. And the opposite is true. Do not neglect what God has called you because you feel you cannot afford it. Because God is bigger than your budget and God is bigger than your wallet. God is bigger than the membership that you enjoy. You know, sometimes being in church leadership, we want to balance between spirituality and reality. And maybe that's why we go wrong. Because then our budgets and our prayers are constricted to what we have and what we can do. And that's not a bad thing. That sounds Baptist. <laughs> and it is. And I am Baptist. I'm criticizing from within. <laughs> but maybe it's because we are so constricted there that we do not hear what God says. And God says, I want to send you to the nations. And how... How much will that cost? It is the same story that Jesus had with the disciples when he was feeding the 5,000. And Jesus said, have everybody sit down in groups of 50 and we're going to feed them. And he says, how much do you have in your purse? 
And so he's trying to tell them, well, let's see how much you can do with your resources. And so they say, well, we don't have that much money. It's going to take all this money to feed all these people, and where are we going to get all this bread? Send these people away. Send them away to the villages. Let them go get some food. And when they are full, they can come back and get some more teaching. And Jesus says, no, we are going to feed them. We will feed them. And the disciples' faith looks more like my faith. I'm looking at what I have. I'm looking at where I am at. And I'm wondering, how will this be? How will this be? And they sit down, and I thank God that the disciples obeyed. And they sat down, and a boy came with five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus gave thanks. And lo and behold, there was enough for 5,000 men and women and children. Why? Because this ministry did not rely on the dollar sign. This ministry did not rely on what man can do, but on his provision. It is time that we start doing ministry, still do the budgets, hallelujah. But it's, it's time we start doing ministry with not our budget in perspective, but with him in perspective. Not looking down on that paper, but looking up on him and saying, Lord, what will you have me do today? But the other one that is even worse than leaning on resources is leaning on our opinions. Leaning on our opinions. One of the greatest missionaries of all times, Paul, when he went to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, hey, this is, this is my outlook when I'm coming to you. I'm going to read verse 2, verse 1 to verse 5, but I've uh, uh, removed some so that it can fit well there. But I want you to listen to what Paul says to them. Paul says to the Corinthian church, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Verse 5 is the kicker. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, if there was someone that could do a theological discourse, it had to be Paul. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had sat at a Gamaliel. He was well learned of the Torah and the prophets, and he was a Roman citizen. No, he could, he could chew and walk. He knew how it was to be a Roman citizen. He knew how it was to be an Israelite of Israelite. But he said, well, when I came to you, I could have switched into psychology and ideologies and human wisdom. I could do that. Certainly I am learned enough to do that. But when I came to you, I sought nothing. I didn't come to you with persuasive words and great wisdom. Why? Because I did not want your faith to rely on that. Because that is not firm ground. 
That is not a good foundation of your faith. But your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Our opinions, our great learning, our persuasions have become a hindrance of God's ministry through us. How many times do we speak of our opinions as if it was canon, as if it was God's word? How many times have we held so strongly? Midterm elections are coming, right? If you've not voted, you need to vote. <laughs> November 8th is going to be here. And if you switch on that TV, it is opinion after opinion. <laughs> it's my opinion and their opinion, and we are right and they are wrong. And sadly, the church has been sucked into that too. And we've preached opinions as if they were the word of God. And therein lies leaning on our own opinions. And elevating our own opinions to the level that they are one and the same with the word of God. Elevating our denomination so high that it is one and the same with the word of God. And our denomination is right and theirs is wrong. <laughs> Sounds familiar, right? No. That's our opinion. God does not, God is not moved by our opinions. They may seem right and look right, but if they are not the word of God, God will not base his church on our great philosophy and opinion. And Paul realized that gladly. And he said, Corinthians. I'm not going to give you a message that you have to buy my book and second audition, third audition of the same book. <laughs> no, I'm not going to give you a book. I'm going to give you the power of God. And therein you can rest. Because this is solid ground. You can build on this and the gates of hell will not stand against this. Same we shed off our opinions that are elevated beyond the word of God. We should have opinions, but we should know where to place them. They are far under the word of God. They are nowhere near the word of God. And we could be convinced and convicted they are right, and I'm not saying they are wrong, but they are not where the word of God is. How I pray that when we have those conversations at the, at, at the mall, and when we have that conversation at the family table, and when Thanksgiving is around the corner and we're having those conversations, that our conversation will not rotate around opinions and political leanings, but they will revolve around the power of God. Because most of those people that come at that dinner table, you'll only get to see them that once. <laughs> and you don't see them again for a year. How best would that be if you made that time a time whereby you elevate the word of God and the power of God is seen. So I've told you what not to do. What should we do? <laughs> we need to lean on Jesus. Leaning on Jesus. If the kingdom of God were a factory, grace will be production, faith will be operations, and his spirit will be management. Ministry is produced by grace.
verse 12 of Acts chapter 3 where we've read. The Bible says, And when Peter saw it, that the people were amazed and mesmerized, he said, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? Peter says, the attention is not on us. We did nothing. It is not, it is not by our godliness. Neither is it by our power. And Peter points the crowd to the miracle worker. And Peter says, it's not by our power, it is by his power. And Peter goes ahead and teaches and preaches in the temple. He deflects attention from themselves to him. Because it is him that produces the grace. He's the producer. Apart from his grace, we can do nothing. He chooses what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And our work is just to say, yes, sir. Our work is to obey. He is the grace maker. He is the miracle worker. He is the one that produces grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Brethren, our best efforts can never be good enough to replace his provision for salvation and ministry through his grace. It is his grace. I am convinced standing here that I, I am what I am because of his grace. I do not deserve to stand before you, but it is by his grace. But it is not only produced by grace. Ministry is operated through faith. Matthew chapter 7 verse 20. Jesus makes a bold statement. I want you to listen to this statement as if you've never heard it again. Matthew chapter 17 verse 20. So Jesus said to them, hear this, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Wow. <laughs> My Lord said that. He says, for you to take a hold of this grace and this provision, it must be through faith. And he does not say have a big faith. He says have a small faith in this big God. And if your faith be as small as a mustard seed, then you will speak to this mountain. And you will command it, be moved, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. I am ready for that. I am ready for that faith. I am ready for that faith that is not faith on faith itself, but faith on the omnipresent, omniscient God. Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I can think or even imagine. 
This is a bold claim by Jesus. And I have news for you. It is true. It is true. Jesus said it and it's true. Praying a faith-filled prayer for someone or a faith-motivated act that we take, no matter how small, can have eternal and mountain-moving impact on another person. Put on your faith boots. <laughs> Let's start doing things out of faith, not out of fear. Let us start doing things operating through faith. And the last thing, that ministry must be spirit-led. Ministry must be spirit-led. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. A very interesting story is told by St. Luke in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 to 10. They are on a missionary journey. I think it's the second missionary journey or the third. And they are moving through uh, cities. They are moving through a city called Bithynia and Mysia. And they are about to enter into Asia to go preach. And the Bible says the Spirit of God forbids them to go there. And it is interesting that when we are led of the Spirit, we sense where and when to turn. St. Luke shares this wonderful scenario in Acts chapter 16, verse 6 to 10. I want you to listen to it. Then I'll be finishing. Now, St. Luke is writing and says, Now, when they had gone through Phygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word, the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Trous, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. We don't just have faith that is unhinged. We have the spirit of God for management. He tells us where to go, when to go, how to do it, and when to do it. It surely seemed like a good idea to go into Asia to preach. But the Spirit of God forbade them. He did not permit them. But a few verses later, the Spirit of God opens up a door in Macedonia. And they are called into Macedonia to preach the word of God. We must lean on Jesus. Our ministry should be produced by grace, operated by faith, and spirit-led. Let us pray. Mighty God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much. Thank you for that, that in the many words that you've spoken to me and hopefully spoken to someone else. 
how I pray that this word will dwell richly in us, and that mighty God, it will produce fruit as we want it to. We thank you, Lord, we exalt you, and we magnify your name. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.